Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The Indiana Supreme Court will not rehear the case regarding abortion. Thus, the legislation that was passed by the General Assembly, that is going to remain. The decision four to one, even though I've got local media that calls it a divided Indiana Supreme Court. Oh, you got you to gotta have the headline, people. I'm a writer, I'm a writer, I'm a writer. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com. This is the way it should be. And I'm not saying this is the way it should be, that they're not rehearing it, and this is the law of the land, and that's it. I'm a pro-life guy. I'm discussing things constitutionally. Roe v. Wade was always wrong. It doesn't matter what the ACLU says. We, it, it, it doesn't matter what this group says or this doctor says. Roe v. Wade was never properly grounded in, con- in, in any level of law. It was massive levels of overreach by the court. It was a political decision, not a legal one. To decide that a right exists when the right does not exist and you're basing it on privacy, nonsense. And as people like the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg pointed out, you really did overreach here and you took away an opportunity. An opportunity that I argue was, of course, usurpation, the usurpation of states' rights and the Tenth Amendment. The states get to decide this. I do not want a federal ban on abortion. Although I think a federal ban on abortion, when they start talking about 15 weeks, even Mike Pence has said this, you, you will find people very okay with that. And certainly the pro-life people will be better with that because it'll force states like California, Minnesota, New York not to allow, uh, you know, partial birth abortions. These are people who would favor infanticide. So they they feel like it would be a, a restriction on them, and that's a good thing. I believe that it was always a state's rights issue, and thus it should remain. And that while the court, the Supreme Court of Indiana is not going to rehear the case regarding uh uh, abortion in the state of Indiana doesn't mean there won't be other lawsuits. Even uh, the uh, Chief Justice Loretta Rush uh, said she's concerned about Senate Bill 1's impact on Hoosier women's constitutional right to seek medical care that is necessary to protect their life or to protect them from a serious health risk. She's opening up saying, hey, you could go about this differently. It's just that the plaintiffs had not properly presented those concerns to the justices. We're not done with the legal challenges. And that's fine because, well, there are going to be continued legal challenges. People see it differently than maybe you. People see it differently than me. They're going to continue to try and push for what it is that they believe as long as it stays within the state. And the state is making the decision, I'm down. I am down. And if there are issues with the legislation, you want to push your legislator to make a change here, a thing there, go ahead. Maybe you want it more restrictive. Maybe you want it less This is what we're supposed to do. This is how we're supposed to engage. We're supposed to say this is a difficult issue. We're going to fix it here in the state of Indiana. We will take care of us and let the people of Minnesota be heartless and disgusting. Same with New York and California. We're not them. We are not Illinois, baby. But it should be our issue. It should be up to the state. Are the Colts ready for life without Jonathan Taylor? JMV joins me to discuss the possible trade next. This is Tony Katz today. So just a few days ago, 
On Saturday, the Colts are taking on the Bears. It's preseason action, and there's the owner, Jim Ursay. In the booth, he's talking uh, to Coach Venturi. Me, I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. I was a fan, and I was watching. And, of course, the conversation got to Jonathan Taylor and what's going to happen with Jonathan Taylor. And what is it that Jim Ursay said to me? Quote, we're really looking forward to him playing his way into being the Jonathan Taylor he was. And we're really excited to have him. And we want to do everything we can to support him and embrace him as a cult. Because he's a great young man, uh, says Jim Irsay. I can't say enough about him and his family. That's what he said, not just to me. That's what he said to all of us. That's what he said to Colts Nation on Saturday. And on Monday, Jonathan Taylor is looking for a trade with the blessing of the Colts. This is, well, I got lied to, right? You got lied to, right? This is standard fare. Why is the Colts organization like this? Or am I off base? JMV joins us from 93.5107.5 The Fan. He is the voice of sports in Indiana. You know, I may talk a lot more harsh about uh, Jim Irsay than, than, than other people. But before we even get into his Saturday comments, now the trade is on and the Colts are saying, with our blessing, go to it. What exactly collapsed? Who could possibly be in the market? And what are they going to be willing to offer? Yeah, well, I mean, they're going to get lowballed like heck. And I want to get back to the comments regarding Jim Irsay. And we talked about Tony this yesterday. When he got in that booth on Saturday and said what he said, he, to me, in a really windy, roundabout way, was trying to make sure that he didn't make things worse here. And you're saying, well, wait a minute, things are worse here. You can view this as another step in both sides here, trying to play, execute plays from this playbook. And executed them badly, mind you. I mean, really both sides, too. Like, like you're, you're pointing to what happened on Saturday. I go back a month. I go back a month when Jim was on with Pat McAfee and his show and said that Jonathan Taylor was healthy. Jonathan Taylor was healthy. And I think what you have to understand in all this, that's just Jim Irsay. I believe Jonathan Taylor was healthy. I don't believe right now that Jonathan Taylor is, has a medical issue. I think it's more about Jonathan Taylor and his representation wanting to make sure that he gets paid by being on PUP right now. Thus, he may start the season on PUP if they can't find any trade partners. And, Tony, frankly, with what they want, they want a first-rounder, they're not getting a first-rounder. They're going to get low-balled like heck out there because here's what has to happen. Not only will Jonathan Taylor have to be traded, he'll have to go someplace that's going to want him, and that's only probably less than a handful of teams. And then this team is going to have to extend him in the fashion in which the Colts and really the rest of the NFL does not want to do that running back position. Thus, here's the situation here. It is going to have to come down to if you can find anything to go on. If you can get a fourth rounder, for example, I think you have to make that jump. You have to try to get something out of it right now. If the two sides cannot at all come together on any monetary massaging in the moment, like we saw with Saquon Barkley with the Giants, I mean, a different situation altogether contractually, but still the Giants and Barkley kind of massage the situation in the now. It doesn't look like that's going to be able to happen, but this is all just another play in what has been a ridiculous playbook, and both sides, Tony, in this case, have absolutely screwed one another because the Colts need him with their rookie quarterback, and Jonathan Taylor needs the Colts with an opportunity to better himself and to get – 
some enhanced deals further down the road. Neither one of them have that right now. Thus, here's our situation in the normal circus here in Indianapolis. Well, the normal circus isn't working. And the reason the normal no. circus doesn't work is because nobody wants this to be normal. I, I am struck. Never mind as we get into how this affects the team, how this affects Anthony Richardson. If you're Coach Steichen, what the hell's going through your mind? There is, and and I could be wrong, right? It could be my naivete and not knowing how other organizations have acted in other situations over the course of the years, whether it's one-off or whether it's historical in terms of its precedence. Over the last few years, going back to the everything with Andrew Luck, this organization seems to lie to its fan base like none other. Everything, it's, it's not just a specific lie, it's just a complete disregard for whether or not they are clear about their intentions, whether or not they're clear about the future, whether or not they mislead, they don't seem to care. Is that a Ballard trait? Is that an Ursay trait? Or am I wrong? And that's just sports, baby. Well, a lot of it is sports, but it's become more recognizable around here in the uh, past five-plus years. Tony, we talked about a similar situation right here yesterday, and that was with Anthony Richardson, right? And he was going to make his debut. He's coming in preseason game two. And Thursday, Matt Eberflus announced that Justin Fields wasn't going to quarterback the Bears. And the Colts could have done that. You know what? But they didn't. You want to know why? And maybe that wasn't their operational procedure here, but it looks as if they wanted to make sure you get Colts fans out there who anticipated seeing maybe a series or some snaps from Anthony Richardson and then trotting him out there, going through warm-ups, and then Gardner Menchu starts. That's a bad look. And what I told you yesterday is if you just kind of look a couple of steps ahead and know where you've been, know that that opinion that you just stated is prominent among Colts fans and handle things better. There was no reason to hide not to play Anthony Richardson. I mean, you could just say, hey, you know what? He's going to play in Philadelphia. He's got that combined practice today. They play on Thursday night. That's when we're going to play him. We're not going to play him right here. You know what? You're not trying to hide anything. There's nothing to protect. This is not a regular season game. It didn't matter. It only mattered in the court of public opinion, and in that public opinion, it looks like you're trying to put one over on the fans. Most of the time, Tony, they fail to get out of their own way, and your perception is like many of those Colts fans out there that just kind of believe that the fans don't always come first with this organization, and that is problematic, and it takes time to get out of your way from that, but you have to start somewhere. And you have to be smarter. It's like me and social media. You've got to tweet something, look at it, think how many different ways that thing's going to be interpreted by the people that read it, and then hit send when you believe that it's perfect. The Colts simply don't do that. And they don't look ahead very many steps. Thus, they're in a situation right now where a lot of fans, much like you, don't believe a lot in what they're doing, especially in terms of believability from those that support him locally. That's an issue. It has been for a while. Talking to JMV from 93.5107.5. The fan, uh, Jonathan Taylor, will we'll talk about whether or not we actually think he's going to get traded. But now you're Shane Steichen. You no longer have the running uh, threat that you thought you were going to have. You do have the rookie quarterback. 
Is he saying to himself, dear Lord, why did I take this job? Maybe Josh McDaniel knew what he was talking about. Or is he like, you know what? This is life in the NFL. Just roll with it, baby. I think he's just rolling with it right now. I mean, the one thing about Shane Sykin is, Tony, he just kind of wants to coach football, and it's kind of a situation where I think he's just going to coach football and not worry about anything else. Have you ever seen a dude more uncomfortable when he's asked about Jonathan Taylor's situations and answering those questions? He doesn't want to mess with this whatsoever. He wants to coach this football team. So from his standpoint, I don't think it matters who is back there. He's going to roll with whomever is back there. But the problem is for Anthony Richardson, you need productive players to help him out, to help him progress in his rookie season. And you're taking your best offensive weapon out of the equation right here. Altogether, it just seems silly. Now, granted, you know, maybe there is. Maybe I'm completely wrong, Tony, and there is an injury situation going on here, and there's a reason behind this. They know it. Jonathan Taylor wants paid, even though he's not able to play right now. Maybe, maybe that is what's going on, because that's certainly a theory. But on the surface, what anybody cares about right here is the product on the field. And the product on the field is not at all enhanced without Jonathan Taylor out there. Whether you like Jake Funk or Deion Jackson or Evan Hall, it does not matter. You take away a major piece of this offensive puzzle – and you hamper the growth of your rookie quarterback, which is exactly what you don't want. And that's the issue. Whether Shane Steichen likes you know, coaching up players or not answering questions about you know, running backs or whatever, that doesn't matter. It's about Anthony Richardson. And Anthony Richardson's progress is going to be derailed at the very beginning because he doesn't have enough around him, and especially in terms of a running back. That's the most problematic aspect of all of this. Uh, um, I <laughs> is that enough? Nah, I man, that's a go on. That I I don't know how I feel about that answer. Right? I, well, I get me, the point. The Steichen doesn't have an option. He's just got to go about doing the thing. But yeah. I wonder secretly if he's looked at Ballard and been like, "What the hell, man?" And I guess maybe maybe I'm projecting a little bit. JMB, because no, maybe... Let me give you a counter right here. Let's hold on, wait. Um, let me just put out the theory. Maybe I'm saying that Ballard could have done something different, and possibly I'm wrong about that. Maybe GM Ballard couldn't have done anything different. Now you go. Okay. So this could be a theory, uh, and I could counter this. Maybe Shane Steichen, deep down inside, maybe he doesn't believe. Maybe there's a reason why they don't want to pay him beyond this year, because they believe that running backs are disposable. They had a myriad of them in Philly. Now, I've also said that Miles Sanders was a guy a year ago that had over 1,200 rushing yards, and that was necessary for them. But they also had a quarterback in Jalen Hurts that went over 700 yards rushing himself. So maybe that's the theory of Steichen. And again, this is devil's advocate. Maybe he doesn't believe they need Jonathan Taylor. Maybe if you're Chris Ballard, because you've already extended – really non-vital football positions. You've extended the linebacker and Shaquille Leonard. Haven't seen the, the benefit of that yet. You've extended Quentin Nelson at left guard. I mean, who the hell cares about a left guard, right? You extended him. I mean, that's a, a position, non-consequential type of position in the NFL. So now people deem running back the same. So maybe this is Chris Ballard adjusting after six years going into year seven, his thinking of the way that he blueprinted and built – 
this team is not working and you're going to jump on board with everybody else and make sure that if you're going to if you're going to hand out extensions and money, you're going to do it at the necessary position, the vital positions in the NFL, like Michael Pittman Jr. coming up at wide receiver, wide receivers, vital position. Maybe now that's a change in philosophy from Ballard. Those are two things that could be on your side of thinking as to why there is a non-belief longer term in Jonathan Taylor around here. You know, I, I, I don't find myself a fan of, of, uh, Chris Ballard. I, I don't. His approach, his demeanor, uh, some of the things that he has engaged in outside of, of football, I'm, I'm just not. That doesn't mean he's wrong because I don't like other things uh, about him. And it's an interesting point you make. Maybe he's finally getting on board, which would lead someone to think, well, then where was the leadership before? Is it a recognition of a position that should be abandoned? Or is it jumping on board a train because no one gets hurt? You know, it's like the old adage in business, you never get fired for buying IBM, right? There are some things you just do because that's what everybody does. Uh, That's not necessarily a leadership spot. And thus brings us to what does this team do about a running game? The guys we have on, don't get me wrong, I love Jake Funk, but not the premier running back, at least not yet. Uh, and, and you have Kenyon Drake, you've got a couple other guys. Are we now going looking for a running back or are we dealing with the running backs we have? No, I think they're constantly looking, but they're going to be dealing with the ones that they have. Thus the running game is going to stink, stank, stunk and funk this year. That's what it's going to look like. That's what it's going to be like. That's how it's going to produce. And that's again, my theory of how problematic this is for the growth of your quarterback. You know, it's funny. Did you think that maybe when you watched last year, did you think there was going to be a season win loss wise that was any worse than that? This may be it because this team to me is much less talented. Even with Jonathan Taylor injury a year ago, there was much more talent. When you think about it, I mean, there were games, there was like four or five games in which they really should have won. And had they won two of them, Jeff Saturday would still be the coach. That said, This is a softer schedule. However, this team is worse. It's going to be exciting to see Richardson out there, but for every really good play, impressive play he makes, Tony, there are going to be like three plays in which you're going to go, oh, my goodness, and face palm in the stands. It's going to be problematic. So you're looking at a much worse season to me, win-loss-wise. I think I said five wins, which would be better than the four of a year ago, but I think they're going to struggle to get there. This team is going to be worse. They simply put have have really no answers unless unless the Steichen offense is just absolutely incredible and blows the doors off of people. I just don't see how consistently they're going to be able to move the football without making major mistakes. And still, we haven't talked about this. That offensive line has a lot to prove. I mean, you're going from you know a team where you, you're a year ago you were tor- terrible and you just had to you know protect your quarterback. Uh, that was a pocket passer. You had to do that. Now you're out there in, in running lanes. You're out there trying to block, you know, in, in terms for your quarterback. Things are going to be a lot different. So we don't really know how this offensive line is going to work with Anthony Richardson. Again, you have to give him the most opportunity and protection here with production with other players. And simply put, losing Jonathan Taylor does none of that. It doesn't do this team any good. It doesn't do the fan base and support any good. It doesn't do a win-loss possibility any good whatsoever. You take away your number one offensive weapon in this. And for the growth of your quarterback, which is most important, you hamper that greatly. 
there's at the top of the list of the problems this team has just beyond in, in, in the court of public opinion. 20 seconds or less. Seriously, yep. 20 seconds or less. What are the top three teams looking at Jonathan Taylor right now? Uh, Miami, Buffalo, and maybe even the Bears. Maybe slotted Minnesota is the fourth right there, Tony. JMV in 93.5107.5, the fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. Thank you. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. No, I think they still, they expect him to be here. They want to interact. They want to interact with all of the candidates. Uh, we've had, we had great turnout at the Fairside Chats. I had a lot of Iowans and people outside of the state come up and just say, thank you for doing that. It was a great opportunity to hear from the candidates. And so, you know, Iowans take it very seriously. They're very knowledgeable and they want to interact with the candidates. And so he was on the fairgrounds. He just chose not to do the Fairside Chats. But um, I think it was a great opportunity for Iowans to continue to hear from our candidates. That is the governor of Iowa, Kim Reynolds. They want Trump to be at the debate, but Trump won't be at the debate. Iowa's a persnickety place. They take their first in the nation status very seriously, and they don't like it when you don't pay attention to them. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today, 833-468-8669, 833-GOT-TONY. That is the number. The, the, the question is, does anything take Trump off the perch in Iowa where he is um, pretty well perched? Craig Robinson joins us right now, the Iowa GOP on the Twitter X box app thing at iowagoper.com. He has run those caucuses for the Republican Party, has long been considered the expert on how things act and interact. You can find his work at cgdelivers.com. You were the first person I saw to take a look at that NBC, NBC News Des Moines Register poll that showed Trump at 42, DeSantis at 19, and Tim Scott at 9, and say, why doesn't everybody hold up? That may not tell the story. What's your problem with the poll? My biggest problem with the poll is that it has such a small sample size, which means it has a large margin of error. So they, they interviewed 406 people, if you look at the poll that came out, I think yesterday, I don't remember the name of it, but it was twice as big. And so, you know, you have a five, like a five point margin of error. It's one thing when you're sitting at 42 and it's five points and it could vary a little bit. But when you're talking about candidates who are, you know, sub 10 points in the poll, well, that 5% margin of error is big. And I think in a state like Iowa, um, it's hard. like these candidates have pockets of support. It isn't statewide. And it is, you know, so much right now, it's the, it's the hardcore activists that are engaged. And so I think you can do a poll like that, um, basically on the cheap is what I'm saying, uh, and, and not figure out what's actually going on. So I think they miss things like Vivek Ramaswamy, I think, is a lot stronger than he showed in that poll. I, I see the other polls I see make more sense to what I'm feeling on the ground than what I saw in that morning register poll yesterday. Yeah. So the other poll was uh, the Trafalgar Group, which had a margin of error of 2.9 and 1,126 respondents. You take right. a look 
at that poll um, from uh, the Des Moines Register. 406 likely Republican caucus goers with a margin of error of 4.9. But what's interesting, uh, Craig, is that they both had Trump at 42%. Trafalgar, with the larger sample size, had DeSantis at 16. The Des Moines Register poll had DeSantis at 19. They had Ramaswamy at 6 and 4% respectively. Are you saying that the support for DeSantis isn't that good and the support for Vivek Ramaswamy is that much higher? Um, so it's a little bit complicated. With Trump and DeSantis, you're dealing with two guys with universal name ID. And, and the rest of the field doesn't enjoy that. And so, again, you know, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with the ranking. And, you know, I was, I, I'm not surprised that DeSantis is pulling in second. I just think you're missing, like, it's turbulent beyond DeSantis. And it's harder to pick up the groundswell of support. Um, I do think the, the ones to watch are Tim Scott, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Those are the guys who people talk to you about when you go about um, your, your day for at least me, uh, someone who's very political. Uh, those are the people that people are bringing up to me, you know, uh, you know, when I'm not even asking, they're just dropping those names and they're interested in those, those candidates. And so I just think tap the brakes a little bit uh, you know, the, that Des Moines register poll, just to me, it's like, we're, we're desperate for a horse race. We want to see this thing tighten up. And, Tony, I look at the numbers, and I look at what Trump did in 2016. I think Trump's winning 80 of Iowa's 99 counties. Um, and I think he's going to and, – and whether he debates or not, I don't think there's anything that's really going to disrupt him uh, in the next few months before we, we actually go to the polls and vote. Talking to Craig Robinson, he is the Iowa GOP -er. He is our man in Iowa, breaking down what will be coming in the caucuses. Let's go over that number again, shall we? It doesn't matter if Trump debates. You see him getting 80 of the 99 counties in Iowa. Um, if that's the case, what's the point of the Iowa caucus for the rest of them? Shouldn't they all focus on New Hampshire? All of a sudden, Chris Christie no. is a freaking <laughs> genius, man, focusing his entire world on New Hampshire. No, I, and, and here's the thing. like Maybe I'm the only Republican in the country that's excited about this debate without Trump because th that debate is exactly what the Iowa caucuses is about. Who's the alternative to him? Who's, who, who's going to emerge as the option uh, besides Donald Trump? If you're looking, if you're kicking the tires for, for a candidate besides Donald Trump, who is it? Well, now we have a debate that's going to help us figure out just that. And that is what I think the caucuses are about. Number one, will Trump stumble or not, right? Uh, but number two, who's emerging as the alternative to Trump that's not Chris Christie? Because let's be honest, Tony. If Donald Trump's not in this race, Chris Christie doesn't even exist. Correct. And, and so, you, go ahead. No, I'm saying, I, I was saying, we literally discussed that earlier. If uh, you have Chris Christie's entire philosophy is to go after Trump, Trump not in this debate is disastrous for Christie. And I don't know if he can get through his head. He has to turn on a dime and be focused on Biden. Talking to Craig Robinson, the Iowa GOP, our man in Iowa with the breakdown of what's going on. Um, you're excited about this debate. 
But you say Trump takes 80 of the of the 99 counties in your view, and you've been to all these 99. You know the people, you know the players, you know the streets, and you know where the backyard barbecues are, and you've been to them. Um, what is the value for any of these other guys? Is there a value to coming in second in Iowa yeah, think, for, for any of them? Look, I think there's huge value in finishing second or third. And, and the thing is, is the value is, is like, What's on the line, you know, Ron DeSantis, you know, has to finish second. He can finish no worse than second. And so this is where that interplay between Tim Scott, Vivek, Ramaswamy, and, and, and DeSantis matter, you know. So it, it's a pecking order. They always say there's three tickets out of Iowa. And by the way, you know, everyone likes to pick on Iowa. Oh, they don't pick the eventual nominee. Well, that's not our job. Our job is to narrow the field and say, these are the serious contenders coming out of Iowa. And then New Hampshire takes a stab at it and winnows it down even more for the rest of the country that follows on Super Tuesday and and other early states. And so, you know, I think what we're looking for, what we're going to determine out of Iowa is who's who's the other alternative to Donald Trump? And that there's value in that, and there's a win in that too. So I think if you finish in second place or someone gets a surprising third-place finish out of Iowa, they'll get a boost, and, and, and they'll get a lot of national attention moving into New Hampshire and, and these other early states. Is DeSantis done for, in, in your view? Um, you have discussed the fact before that he did not put together a campaign that was worth its salt with all that wind at his back. Uh, we have discussed off air and on the idea of ground game. Well, look, they put a hundred million dollars or whatever the number that was uh, into the pack and into the ground game. And as you explained it, there's a difference between knocking on doors and getting with the right people who can move the right message to influence the right groups. Um, has De- Does DeSantis show, at least, you know, we see the, uh, uh, the where this poll is and he's up a little bit um does this show uh a a bit of okay he's got an opportunity to grow a little bit here and maybe get that solid second place finish yeah no he's he's i don't think he's dead yet and i always think the media is really quick to you know take a scalp sometimes but i what i would say is he needs a debate performance that sets him apart and this is what we're not seeing when you when you when you see him in, in the state, when you see him on the campaign trail, he's fine. It's good, but it isn't you're not wowed by him. I think this debate, he needs he needs to wow people. He needs to take charge. He needs to be the alpha on the stage. And can he do that? If he can, I think he can I think there's a reemergence that's possible. If not, Tony, I think he might be dead. Who is uh, finding their way in Iowa? Who's the candidate that's that's making the move? Is it, is it Vivek Ramaswamy? Is it a Tim Scott who, in that Trafalgar poll, is at thirteen, and that Des Moines Register poll is at nine? It's a, a, a touch higher than where uh, he's been. Uh, is there anybody who started to make a move up in your view? And is there anybody who's been making a move out of this picture? Yeah, I, I think the two of them are the ones to watch. Um, uh, Scott and Vivek. Um, the the question to me is, like, there's no natural fit really for the state's social conservatives. You know, there's not a 
a Rick Santorum, a Mike Huckabee, a Ted Cruz in this field. And so the question is, you know, this is where I think Tim Scott has an opening. Can he seal that deal with them? Um, or are they going to continue to kind of look around or maybe even divide themselves between, you know, Trump, DeSantis, someone else, you know, Mike Pence, whatever. Um, and so I, I do think that there's there's opportunity there. But again, like there's not a classic social conservative in this race that's really focused their campaign on these issues. And so that that's a big block of voters that you can, you know, you can deep dive into and and get support across the state. So, I, you know, I think it's open, you know, and then on the other hand, are those are those voters willing to support someone like Vivek Ramaswamy who comes from a different faith background than they are, even though he's, you know, he grew up, you know, attending Catholic churches and, 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 and schools. Um, so it, it's interesting to me. And I think it's a big question mark of, you know, typically what you see is that voter kind of coalesces beside, you know, they're, they're always supporting kind of the alternative to the front runner. You know, they went with Huckabee, they went with Santorum, they went with Ted Cruz. Well, who are they going? What's the natural flow of who they go to this time? I think it's wide open. Um, and so, again, a debate like this, let's see who messages towards that type of voter. Craig Robinson, uh, the Iowa GOP. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, I, I was going to get into... Um, are these people debating on Wednesday? Are they debating for the nation because they need fundraising or are they debating for Iowa because they need a showing? Which direction are they kind of focusing themselves in at this stage of the game? I think they're debating for the media. I think they need attention. So I think it's national. Um, but Iowans are watching. People in New Hampshire, South Carolina, they're watching. Um, but I, I think it is much more of a national, almost news media type focus because whoever's going to get the most, you know, talk the next day is going to be the winner. Craig Robinson, I appreciate you being with us. Follow him on Twitter, X at Iowa G-O-P-E-R, Iowa G-O-P-E-R. I appreciate you. We've got much more to get to. Keep it here. I'm Tony Counts. When a kid tells you that they're transgender, believe them. A lot of people will say that it's impossible for a four-year-old to know if they're trans or not. But actually, that's not true. They can know, and here's why. I am not about to take a life advice from a man wearing uh, what this guy is wearing in a video who wants me to let children decide their gender, therefore their medical procedures, therefore who they love. Nah, I'm not doing it. Not to, I wouldn't take it from a man who was in a suit and tie who made these same statements. No, 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 and no. I'm going to protect children from these people to the very best of my ability. That's what I'm going to do because that's what the rational person should do. When a toddler tells you they're trans, believe them. If my toddler tells me they're a robot, should I also believe them? Well, you can't compare. No, it's exactly the same line of thinking. Children cannot make decisions. What is the constant desire? The constant desire to say, oh, yes, they can. 
the only reason to allow children to make a decision is because you want to influence the decisions that they make to benefit you. And it's creepy. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, if you if you follow my, my uh, Twitter feed, you're going to see something amazing that happened today where uh, I was responding to Dave Weigel, the Washington Post. I got something wrong. Some people were kind enough to say, here's the video in question. Some people were like, oh, you're just a grifter. You won't admit the truth. And I'm like, wait a second. There's video of Joe Biden on August 10th talking about the Maui wildfires. His first comment wasn't the no comment, which now people are saying that was a lip reader. And I'm like, okay, you're all just nuts at this stage of the game. You're all just crazy. Timelines matter. Reality matters. The truth matters. And if Joe Biden had a comment on August 10th about speaking with the governor and and sending aid, that's great. Now let's ask what happened between August 10th and, 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 and just yesterday when Biden is insulting these people, claiming, oh, I know what you've been through. I almost lost my car in a fire. You didn't almost lose your car. It was a lie. It was a lie. He lied. When he's trying to make jokes, he's an awful person. And why in between were you on vacation? Laying on a beach while the entire town of Lahaina burned. If Trump or, or anybody else had done that, it's all the news would talk about. For Biden, they get to pass. Oh, he made a comment on August 10th. That's what matters. No, for the timeline, that matters greatly. But it doesn't change what he did since then, which was going on vacation. It doesn't matter what's happened since then, which is you had the woke people who were in charge of emergency management who knew nothing about emergency management, failing the people of Lahaina and failing Maui. And it does nothing about what Biden said just the other day that is so disgusting and despicable in joking about his poor Corvette that one wonders how he can ever win an election again. Because one must wonder. Find everything at TonyCats.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.